somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years ago at St. James, give or take a couple of years, because it's an image I have in my mind, and uh, many clergy can, in the United Methodism cannot say that, that they've been in the same place for that long. Uh, you know, but in any case, I was here, only not in this building, I was in the old building. And in those days, we had a three-class series, four weeks in each class, that would be a part of becoming a part of St. James. The first four-week class uh, opportunity was called Discovering Jesus, followed by Discovering the Church, followed by Discovering Spiritual Discipline. The most popular of the classes, I'll just tell you, is the first one. Discovery 101, Discovering Jesus. And so I, uh, I had this recollection this morning as I was sitting in my, uh, in my chair journaling uh, about one such Discovering Jesus class. And I could see Mark and Joy's face. You remember Mark and Joy who introduced us this morning. Mark and Joy... Michael and Kristen, which are two people that many of you never got to meet or know, but were members at St. James. I can see Tara, I can see Monica in the class. These are all people that you may or may not have any idea who they are, and maybe they'll do introductions for us over time, although Michael and Kristen can't. Uh, Kristen could. Michael died unexpectedly. Um, but that's not a part of the story. We were sitting together reading the stories of Jesus. We were reading Luke 4. I remember it very, very powerfully. Luke 4 is when Jesus gets up in his hometown synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do thus and so and thus and so. You just have to read it. And, and he does that. And then afterwards, everybody gets, you know, and he says at the end today... This has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then people say stuff to him, and then he says some stuff back to them, and it just gets stirred up, and they want to throw him off the side of a mountain <laughs> and get rid of him. That's how ticked off they are at that point. Now, I have to tell you, as a person raised in the church, I just, you know, I was raised in Sunday school, in church every Sunday morning. I'd heard that story a million times. I never asked any questions about it. Let me tell you about discovering Jesus, the class. Everybody in that class had no problem asking any question of the Bible text that I would never ask, including, why does it look like to me Jesus stirred them up on purpose? Everything was perfectly fine, and then he just ticked them all off. James, what kind of a guy is this Jesus guy who likes to just tick people off for apparently no reason whatsoever? I didn't appreciate that question, by the way. Uh, I would just tell you that right now. It was not... I, I remember. I, I can remember the question. I can remember the questioner. I'm not calling her out. But she asked that question. I read that, James, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Well... So I looked at the class and I said to them, so what do you all think about that? Well, I agree, James. I think that this was, I never thought of it. It's a, Needless to say, that night, 
is indelibly marked on my brain in ways that I didn't realize until I was sitting this morning with a moment of being challenged in my own assumptions about something in life, being challenged about the things that I just took for granted. I mean, kind of like we all are right now, if you, if you really think about it. I mean, all of the things we assumed at the beginning of January, that we'd get up every morning, we'd still be going to work every day at a physical location other than our, uh, than our house. It, you know, another part of, uh, you know, our travel arrangements, ha you know, are like from the kitchen to uh, the, the master bedroom where our study is or whatever it is, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we pictured a different kind of life. We made a lot of assumptions, and now that those assumptions are thrown in our face, we have to figure out what to do with them. We have to figure out well, what to do with them. Well, today's story, I want to set up for you before I read it to you from Matthew, because it was an in-your-face kind of story to me to, this week. It's Matthew chapter, if you want to look it up and get ready for it, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, if you want to look them up. Bible Gateway online, or if you have your own Bible, whatever, you can choose to look those verses up. I want, I'll just read it to you. Let me say, Jesus grew up, good Jewish boy, trained by his mom and his dad to be a faithful young man. Um, he, you know, at around age 13, he would have had his bar mitzvah. He would have been declared a man. He would have, uh, he would have studied at least basic Torah with, uh, you know, with the local teachers. And uh, he would know something about this biblical story. Clearly, he would know a lot. Um, but in any case, he grew up as a good Jewish boy. And it's that boy that we see a picture of, in my mind anyway, in this text from Matthew today. Let me set this up with one more quick thought. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, Jesus talks about sending the disciples out. And he says, I don't want you to go to the Gentiles. This message is for the people of, the, of Israel, for the children of Israel. So when I send you out, only don't go to the places of the Gentiles. Which, by the way, includes, I think, everyone who's in the room with me right now, and probably many of you who are watching online. We were not included in that initial sending. We were not. Jesus is acting on that particular way of viewing things when we encounter him today. This is chapter 15 of Matthew, beginning with verse 21. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. 
Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. This was the first week in a long time when I had picked a text that I wished I hadn't picked. You know, usually you, you, I pick texts, none of them are, are, are softballs. You know, they're not all easy tosses, catch it, you know, that kind of thing. Have you ever played the egg toss or water balloon toss? When I was growing up, it was egg toss. It was much messier, and there was no salmonella to be concerned about, so it wasn't a big deal. But it was an egg toss. Then it became a water balloon toss, uh, although who knows if we can ever do those again. And when you start out, you're like really close to the person. For me, that's a perfectly comfortable place. I don't mind rolling it into the person, and then they can roll it back to me. But each successive turn, after each person has caught it, you take a step backwards until you're tossing an egg a long distance, a long distance, hoping that it won't break, and hoping that your person is underhand lobbing it to you in a good way, not overhand throwing it to you in a good way, when if you try to catch it like this, it splats in your hand and onto your face. Long and short is, I, I like those soft tosses. This text is not a soft toss for me. This text is, is problematic from the get-go for me because Jesus ignores someone in need. I, I can't see any other truth. I mean, do, do you read that? Someone comes out to him. She happens to be a Canaanite woman, which means she was a Gentile, a non-Jew. In fact, the Canaanites, Mark is more specific. The Gospel of Mark is more specific and calls her a Syrophoenician woman which lets you know exactly where she's from. It's from the land of Canaan. So it, essentially, though, this is a callback to the enemies of Israel from 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, the Canaanites. This, uh, these are the enemies. So the Canaanite woman comes out, and she needs some help. Her daughter needs healing. And Jesus ignores her completely. The disciples say, listen, you can't keep ignoring her because she's just going to keep shouting and we got to do something. Can you just shut her up? I mean, that's essentially what, uh, what the disciples say. Shut her up. Shut her up. Just tell her. <laughs> Either do something for her or tell her to go away. Whatever it takes, just stop ignoring her. So Jesus said, sorry, you're outside my intentional mission group. My mission is to somebody else besides you. Wow. I, I took that impact for just a moment because what if I was the Canaanite woman? The Canaanite woman came to see a religious person, a person of faith, a person who was supposed to offer, who had been healing all sorts of other people. And I'm desperate. My daughter has got a demon. Whatever that literally means, in those days, you know, disease. I mean, they blamed everything on demons 
2,000 years ago. Uh, whatever it was, I need help. And you know, the Jesus I thought I knew would just jump at the chance. Taken care of, baby. Go on home. She's fine. This Jesus ignores her. <laughs> ignores her. Now, admittedly, she's a woman. And in the first century, men tended to ignore women. <laughs> but this is Jesus. This is not just any man, is it? And she's also a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. And his mission is to somebody else. And he tells her, listen, my, my mission is not you. Tough. Suck it up. That's what I hear him saying. Maybe that's not what he said, but that's what I heard him saying. And this bothered me about Jesus all week long. I'm like, Jesus, dude, dude, this is not like you. <laughs> this is not like you. At least not the Jesus I thought I knew. The woman decides she's not giving up. Let me tell you, I have two children. If there is a mountain I could physically move rock by rock to get something for my children, I, I will do that. I will do that. So she comes and she kneels. This is an attitude of worship. She kneels and she says, Lord, please help me. Now, out of the mouth of Jesus now comes stuff that I just... It's bad enough to say, you're not part of my mission group. Uh, read it for yourself. He calls her a dog. He essentially calls her a dog. I can't give the food that belongs to the children of Israel to the dogs. Okay. This is, this is a problem, Jesus. This, this is a problem, Jesus. And the woman comes back. She is undaunted. This is the mountain she's moving. She, I don't know, I wouldn't have this quick of a comeback. She says, even the dogs under the table get the children's scraps. And I think Jesus had an aha moment. that he had a bigger mission than he thought he had before. Now, this brings up a whole issue about Jesus that I think in the church we tend to ignore altogether. I ignore it altogether. We have spent the last 2,000 years lifting Jesus up as the Son of God, which is a totally cool thing. He's the son of God. I believe that. Don't, oh, James has gone heretical on us. We better call the bishop now. You know, I believe he's the son of God. But do you know what we also believe? That he was fully human. We never give him fully human. We only give him fully divine. We take away the fully human piece. You know, we, we don't. We don't worry about whether Jesus went to the bathroom or not, or had to eat food or not, or had to sleep or not, all of that kind of... He just magically floated along. You know, last week we had a story about he walked on some water. Come on! <laughs> I mean, he could do anything. He's the Son of God, but he is also the son of a woman named Mary. He is fully human. 
And if you wonder if Jesus had to grow up and learn wisdom as time passed, you just have to open to Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in wisdom. The boy was learning every single day what we are supposed to do every single day. And when a challenge comes our way, it's an invitation to learn more about who we are, what our mission is, and who God is. When a challenge comes our way, if it just becomes another moment to throw a temper tantrum, we've missed the chance. Jesus could have, at that moment, done what I would have done if somebody got the better of me in an argument. Stomped off in a huff. But Jesus did something that most of us don't do. He took correction. He recognized she was right. And he addressed it right then and there. We don't have to live like everything that we disagree with is a personal affront to us. Life is about learning. Everything is practice. Everything is practice. You get up out of bed in the morning. You stub your toe. It's a great practice. I'm not saying you should do it on purpose. This is not a good plan. And some of the things that will roll out of your mouth when you do it may not be things that you want anyone else in the congregation to hear. But what does it tell you? You still feel pain, you're alive, and that you haven't quite cleaned up your mouth yet. <laughs> that you got some work to do in the area of the things that roll out when you're in pain in sudden challenge. Every moment is an opportunity to learn and to grow. And this was a moment when Jesus learned and grew. His understanding of mission. You know, we always credit Paul or Peter with making the mission to the Gentiles. It was all about Paul and Peter, those guys. Paul went out and made sure that the message got to the Gentiles and fought for the Gentiles because the, you know, the church that was located in Jerusalem thought all Gentiles had to become Jews in order to become Christians. And Paul said, let's just skip over it. Let's get straight to the business. Peter has that wonderful vision in Acts. You can look it up for yourself. And suddenly he realizes the Gentiles, God loves too. We don't have to wait until long after Jesus is dead. Jesus gets the message in chapter 15 of Matthew. From an, I really hate to say this, but from a nobody. She didn't get a name. She got an ethnic designation. A Canaanite woman. A foreigner. An immigrant. A nobody. A woman. Jesus got his comeuppance. His challenge to his ministry. And you know what Jesus did? He rose to the occasion. He received it, recognized the truth in it, and healed her daughter. 
Are you willing to learn from somebody else, especially somebody who is challenging the very bedrock of everything you've come to believe? Jesus grew up as a good Jewish boy. He knew that the message that he was taught, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings were written first for his fellow children of Israel. That was what he was taught from a small child. He was meant to be a witness that would show the rest of the world this truth. That's what the Israelite people were meant to do, to show kind of this one God, this connection to the one God. Jesus was raised fully human, and he recognized his mission to kind of get the message straight for his people. But he needed someone to confront him for him to realize it wasn't just for his people, it was for all people. The human part of Jesus grew and learned till the day he died. And when he was challenged by someone, not just to challenge him to test him, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were so caught up in rules, but when he was challenged by someone who really had a point, Jesus responded and changed direction. Now, when I see that in Jesus, and when I recognize that in Jesus, I see that Jesus has walked the same path I have. He was challenged in what he was believed. He was pushed to the edge. He was pushed to the edge of what he believed, and he had to figure out either, do I, do I take this as a correction, or do I hold firm my ground? Now, for most of us, and I can only speak for me, how about for me? Stubborn man that I am, I am more likely to stand my ground than to take correction. I'm getting better. One out of every 50 times that Linda calls me down, I, I, I listen. I can't tell you about the other 49. That's better. When we first got married, she couldn't tell me anything. <laughs> and she's still married to me. You know God is good <laughs> all the time. And transforms us through any means necessary. Jesus was confronted with something. You know, I said he learned from his mistake. Mistakes aren't sin. I still believe in a sinless Jesus. But I don't know that sometimes, every once in a while, I don't make a mistake by turning right instead of turning left. Like the day I drove by this building that we're now coming to you from and saw that it was for sale. Was that an accident that I turned down that street that day? That I saw the for sale sign? That I called the council? That I called my district superintendent? That we bought this building? Was that an accident? Sometimes we make mistakes that in, in the end are opportunities for us to grow. You turn left when you should have turned right. 
You went up when you should have gone down. You walked when you should have drove. You brought an umbrella and it didn't rain. I don't know. We make mistakes. It happens to all of us. Can we learn from those mistakes? I think Jesus learned. Now, whether you want to call it a mistake or not because you think that it's sacrilege to think Jesus made mistakes, okay. If you want to... My mother already called me down about this sermon line on Friday. She said, what are you preaching on Sunday? Mom, if you're watching, I'll just tell everyone. See, Mom is unafraid to challenge me like most of you. She just said, James, you just better give me that scripture quote because I'm going to have to read that because I don't think Jesus ever made a mistake, ever. I said, okay, Mom, Matthew 15, 21 through 28, read it for yourself. I don't know what her conclusion was. She didn't call me to tell me in advance. I'll hear about it later on in the week. I will hear, first of all, I'll hear that I called her out because she called me out. And second of all, I'll hear because, uh, uh, because of that stretch. But the truth is, whether you think it was a mistake or just an expansion of Jesus' understanding of himself and his mission, whatever you want to call it, Jesus took it well. Are you being challenged by something in your life? Someone calling you out? Have you become totally focused on your own in-group and forgotten that everyone matters to God? Jesus had, apparently, if I read this text correctly. I even, you know, I had a friend on my Facebook feed this past week who, you know, in response to all of the statements about Black Lives Matter, she posted White Lives Matter. I'm not disagreeing that white lives matter, but until black lives fully matter, not all lives matter. If your limited vision is only of people like you, economically, ethnically, nationally, Jesus wants to stretch you. Jesus wants to meet you like he was met by some nobody on the street, a Canaanite woman who needed some help. Jesus wants to stretch you to recognize there is no brother or sister in this world who isn't loved by God. No matter what flag they fly, no matter what color their skin, even no matter what religion or lack thereof they have, God loves them right where they are. And the only way you're going to do what God needs you to do is if you get stretched out of your comfort zone into the bigger picture, the bigger world God has for you. Just like I needed some stretching as I sat in discovering Jesus 20 years ago. And as I sat with this text that irritated the living crud out of me all week long and made me wonder about Jesus, we all need good stretching sometimes to see the world through new eyes. So be stretched. And if you completely disagree with me and you want to have a conversation about it, just let me know. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Uh, because I 
I learn things from this, you as much as probably more than you do from me.